Thanks for checking out the YVF podcast today. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you in whatever season of life you're in. Now here's Pastor Kevin. What's important is that we have the Word of God. Amen. And so I want to open up just with a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you. Father, for your presence in this place, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are here in our midst, that you have promised us wherever two or more of us are gathered together in your name, that you will always be there with us, that you will never leave us, that you will never forsake us, that you never abandon us, that you are our good shepherd, and we know your voice, and we don't follow after a stranger, we follow after you. I just pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts by your word as we come into your presence here. I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill our lives, fill our hearts, that you would be poured out upon us even now. That you would be poured out upon our flesh and you would help us because you are our helper. You are our comforter. That you would stir us up on the inside, that you would challenge us and that you would help us to be the disciples the followers of Christ that we really want to be down in our hearts, Lord. We love you. We give you praise and glory this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to minister just some things that are on my heart. And uh, it's not really a teaching so much as just some, some words that the Lord's put on my heart and has been speaking to me. And it's about discipleship. And uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to share some things this morning uh, I was ready to share them last week. They've just been in my heart for, for several weeks now, for over a month. And I may continue on, on in a couple of weeks and share some more on this. But I want to start by opening up Hebrews chapter 12, just, just on discipleship. Uh, this all kind of began in my heart with a verse that I'll get to in a minute from Matthew chapter 7. And I was praying about some things. And uh, just to be very honest, uh, praying about some certain situations with certain people. And as a pastor, sometimes you get this feeling that um, uh, all, all my labor is in vain. <laughs> You'll find that in several places in the scripture where that's said. Uh, that this is just a waste of time. That you just preach and you preach and you preach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it's like nobody listens to anything the Bible says. And I'm complaining to God about this, <laughs> and um, about it, and I'm not picking on anybody here. I don't even remember what the particular situation was like, but you just get that sense, that feeling. Sometimes I think as parents, you get that feeling. You know, I remember my mom saying to us, "I have been, how would she say that? But something about until I'm blue in the face, and then we're gonna go round and round." And I'd hear these phrases coming out of her mouth. I can still hear it to this day. And the point of it was, I'm saying it, but you're not listening to me. I'm speaking, but you're not listening. I read a quote uh, from Henry David Thoreau for various reasons. If you don't know who that is, figure it out. But a uh, very famous American writer and poet. And I read a quote of his when I was at the library the other day with Frank. I took him there because he had to get a book. And I'm just wandering around. And I pick up Bartlett's book of quotations. Falls open. First thing I read uh, from Henry David Thoreau. It says, it takes two 
to speak the truth. One to speak it and another to listen. If nobody's listening, then the truth doesn't get through to us. So anyway, when I was praying about that, the Lord just spoke to me and said about th that sometimes people are coming to church and they're calling themselves Christians, but they're not really my disciples. They're not really following me because they're not doing what I'm saying. And so if you deal with them as if you're dealing with disciples, they're not going to hear what you're saying. Sometimes they need to be dealt with as people who are not following me yet. And he spoke to me this thing, and I've already shared it a couple of times, about the rich young ruler, that he's doing every single thing right. He's keeping every commandment in the law, and he even bows before Jesus, and then Jesus says to him, there's only one thing left that you lack. Go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And he won't do it. Because to be a disciple of Christ means to be following Christ. And to be following Christ means to be doing what he's telling us to do. It doesn't mean that we keep all the commandments. It doesn't mean that, you know, if, if we're following Christ, then we're going to keep the commandments because we're going to walk in love. And there's no uh, commandment that's not fulfilled when we walk in love. So look, look with me at Hebrews chapter 12. And I'm going to read a few verses, begin with verse 4. It's about discipline. And uh, in, my, in my, the version I'm reading, New American Standard, uh, it's translating the Greek word as discipline or to uh, be disciplined. Uh, and it can also be translated as punishment uh, because it's what we mean when, as parents when we punish our children. But the point of punishing children, whatever word we want to use for that, is to teach them, right? It's not because we enjoy punishing them. We want to teach them, so it's discipline. So it says in verse 4, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and that tells me that at some point, maybe we will have to resist to that point. Eventually, these Christians in the first century did, and will we be ready for that then? And you have forgotten the exhortation, which is addressed to you as sons, and then it quotes from the Old Testament, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint. Don't give up. Don't go cry in your pillow. Don't quit. Or if you are crying in your pillow, it's okay for a time. But suck it up, get up, and keep going because he does discipline us, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges, that's the word. He spanks every son whom he receives. It says, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Now, in our day and age, there's probably plenty of sons whom their fathers do not discipline. But you know what a family is supposed to look like. You know what God's design for a family is. And in a Hebrew family in that time, there would be no son whom uh, their father did not discipline them. So he says, uh, uh, what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. The King James probably makes it a lot closer to home. It says you are bastards, because that's what the word means. You're illegitimate children, and you are not sons. See, I, as a, a father, discipline my children. Not perfectly, but I discipline my children. But not one time have I ever disciplined my neighbor kids. 
Now, I might, if they were doing that, turn up my yard or something and say, get out of my yard, but I'm not going to go out there and spank them. I'm not going to lay a hand on them because they're not my kids. I might go talk to their parents about them. I could call the police if it was really bad, but I'm not going to go discipline somebody else's children because they're not my responsibility. They're not my children. So if you're not enduring the discipline of God in your life, if you're not being punished by God, then that's a dangerous place. Because if he loves you and he cares about you, then he's going to punish you. He's going to teach you. He's going to discipline you so that you'll be his disciple. So it says in verse 9, Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us. And this just gets real honest. We respected them. That was in a different day and age. But you know you should respect your dad. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? So a lot of people today have a problem with the Father God because they had a problem with their father on this earth. And we see that in these verses. But if you had a problem with your father on this earth, then again, stop crying in your pillow about it, suck it up, and get on with life. You have a Father God who truly loves you. For they disciplined us, dads on this earth, for a short time has seemed best to them. We do our best but we don't do it perfect. But he disciplines us for his holiness. He has our best in mind. He never makes a mistake when he disciplines us. And so it says, so that we may share his holiness. So get this, God wants you to share in his holiness. The scripture says, be holy as I am holy. To be holy means that you are set apart from this world and you are dedicated to God. He says, love me as much as I love you. Listen to me the way I listen to you, and you know God listens to you, or you wouldn't be praying. And we expect him to listen to us, but in so many ways we're like little kids that want their parents to do what they want, but they don't want to listen to what their parents are saying. And it's a two-way street. I've got older kids, much older now, and I remember when they're teenagers, and it's been my standard thing as teenagers, when you say to a kid, you know, what time are you going to be home? And they say, well, you always ask me what time I'm going to be home. And I always say, because you're always asking me what time I'm going to be home. You want to know where I am every minute of the day. You want to know what's for dinner. You want to know what's going to happen. You're asking all these questions. This is a two-way street. If you want me to respect you, then you're going to give me information. Because we're going to trust, but we're going to verify. We're going to understand each other in these things. And that's love. That's not control. That's love. And so God loves us, and he wants us to share in his holiness. But we also have to understand we will not share in his holiness if we're not being disciplined by him. To be a disciple of Christ means that we share in God's holiness. Discipleship is discipline. They're the same word. And the root of that word in Latin, disco, means to teach. Discipleship, or to learn, is discipline. It's a discipline in the nature of God. And everyone who's disciplined in their walk with Christ is a true disciple of Christ. Okay? So it says in verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification, this is the same as the holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Did you hear that? Without 
this sanctification, you will not see the Lord. A lot of times people ask me, you know, what does that mean? Uh, you know, uh, the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that mean that person doesn't go to heaven? Can a person lose their salvation? A lot of theological questions along those lines. But I always like to say, I don't know exactly what it means, but I know I don't want to find out. If Jesus calls it weeping and gnashing of teeth, why do I even want to go there? I want to see the Lord. I want to see him in my life today, and I want to see him in all eternity. I want to see him the way he sees me, and I want to know him the way that he knows me. And so I want to be sanctified. I need to pursue sanctification, which means to pursue discipleship. And as we're going to see, it has a lot to do with pursuing peace with one another. It has everything to do with walking in love with one another. Go with me over to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And I'm going to look at just a couple of verses there in verse 34. John 13, 34. It says, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. It's at the time of the Last Supper before he goes to the cross. And he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Let's just stop there for a minute. So if we are disciples of Christ, then Jesus is giving us a command, not a suggestion. He's not trying to convince us of something. He's not persuading us. It's not a suggestion or a persuasion. It's a command. He's giving us a command, and the command is just so simple. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Well, that actually sounds like fun. I can be at peace with people. I can love people. I don't have to be stressed out. I don't have to be burdened with, with all kinds of offenses. But my flesh just fights against that tooth and nail. Because for whatever weird reason, my flesh wants to be offended. My flesh enjoys feeling sorry for itself. And I know I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about every one of us. And so the nature of God goes against the nature of my flesh. He says, I want you to love one another. I not only want you to, I command you to. And then he raises the bar or sets the bar for what this love is by saying, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. So nothing short of the love that he has for us. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So discipleship, is we're not disciples of Jesus if we don't have love one for another. I'm not saying you're going to go to hell. I'm not saying you won't go to heaven. I'm not even going there. I'm just saying, let's be honest, we're not disciples of Jesus if we don't love one another the way that he's loved us. Well, you don't understand, Pastor. I just cannot forgive that. Okay, then are you ready to stand before God? Because you've committed the same offense that you won't offend. Forgive, right? You know you have. You know that you've committed adultery. You know that you have murdered. You know that you have stolen. Well, I've never murdered anyone. Yeah, but Jesus said if you hated someone in your heart, you murdered them already. What's the difference? You just didn't pick up the weapon and do it, but you thought it. Everyone has. And so if I'm not willing to forgive that one who's offended me, then how can I ever expect for the Father God to forgive me when I stand before him? 
right? And everybody knows this. I'm not preaching something new. This is a simple Bible gospel stuff. But it's got to work in our lives. That we really are disciples of Christ means that we walk in love with one another and we love each other the way he loves us. And if we're having a problem with evangelization, if we're having a problem with people seeing that Jesus actually is in our midst, here's the reason, because we don't love one another. Bottom line. When we say we love one another, but we don't love each other the way Jesus loves us. And so they can only see that we're his disciples if we love one another. And if we want to evangelize the world around us, before we have any kind of program or Bethlehem Village or anything, all these great things we have, or Leon Patillo come or anything, it's not going to work if we don't love one another. It just won't. Because what we need to focus on is they will know you are my disciples when you have love one for another. Now go with me over to Matthew chapter 28. A bunch of verses that everybody knows. But it would be good if you got a Bible with you. And if you don't, bring one to church. And if it's on your phone, that's fine. Bring that to church. But look at Matthew chapter 28. I just want you to read these verses. Matthew chapter 28. It's the Great Commission. But let's look at it. It says in verse 16 of chapter 28, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee, Matthew 28, 16, to the mountain which Jesus had designated. So that's pretty important. There's 11 disciples now, not 12. Judas is gone. That guy just committed suicide. He's gone. There are 11 disciples, and these are real disciples. They're really committed to Jesus at this point. Okay? And what are they doing? They're going. This is so simple, but they're, it's so important. They're going to the place Jesus told them to go. He's not even with them. He just said, go to this place, and they're going to that place. He said, I'm going to meet you when you get there. Then he's going to say to them, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit is poured out on you. And all through the book of Acts, we just went through a long series in the book of Acts. What are they, do what are they doing? They're always listening to God and going and doing what he tells them to do. That's all discipleship is. And so they're going to this place that Jesus had designated. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. There's another thing. They worshipped Jesus. It's so simple. And it says, but some were doubtful. So the some that are doubtful, if you'll remember, there are over, there were about 500 people that saw Jesus. Okay, just listen to this. Paul says there were about 500 people that saw Jesus after his resurrection. And there are 120 of them gathered on the day of Pentecost. Okay? So this is how every church is. You've got a core group of disciples. But you've got people that are kind of in rings going around that core group. Some are closer to Jesus. Some are a little bit further away. Some have just come to church for the first time. Maybe in many years. Maybe they've been really hurt by church and they are doubtful. And there's no condemnation in the some who are doubtful. But the love of the 11 will draw them in without anybody condemning them without anybody beating them over the head because they're a little bit doubtful, but at least they're there. Some were doubtful, but at least they showed up, okay? It's okay. You know, Jesus doesn't condemn Thomas because he doubts. In fact, he just confirms Thomas's faith, and Thomas makes the most amazing statement of faith of all the disciples when he says, you are my God and you are my Lord. So it's okay if you're a little bit doubtful, just as long as you're there. 
So they're there, and Jesus says to them, it says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, go on the basis of this authority, go with this authority, and make disciples of all the nations. It doesn't say, have them repeat the sinner's prayer. It doesn't say, you know, get them to sign up that they're church members. It says, make them disciples, and that's a process of discipline, of teaching them th something. So it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The baptism is a complete break with your old life and being born again as a new creation in Christ. But what do you teach them? So they make disciples and teaching are the same thing. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. What did he command us? Love one another. I mean, if you're going to sum it up in one word, two words, it's love God, I guess the four words, but two statements, love God and love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's what he, what he commanded us, so go teach them to love one another. How do you do that? By going around saying all the time, you need to love one another, you need to love one another. No, by loving one another. People learn love when they see love, right? Children learn love in a family when they see love in their, with their parents, we learn love. We come into a circle of friends. If you've ever come into a new relationship, a new friendship with somebody, and then they introduce you to other friends, and you're a little bit shy in the beginning, or you're not sure about that, uh, you know, you just don't, don't know what to think about it, but you start hanging out with these people and spending time with them, and if they really have this camaraderie between each other and really love each other, then you just get sucked into it, right? And that's how it's supposed to be in church, that you teach them to be his disciples. You teach them to obey what he commanded. And lo, I'm with you always. I'm never going to give it up to, uh, on you, even to the end of the age. So the demand of Jesus is complete obedience. That's what discipleship is. I'll say it again. Discipleship is complete obedience to what God has commanded. It doesn't mean we don't fail. You know, we got 1 John 1, 9. You know, when we sin, we confess our sin. Uh, but we don't give up in our pursuit of love. We don't give up in our pursuit of peace. We don't give up in our pursuit of sanctification because we know, bottom line, without it, we're never going to see God. Be holy as I am holy. So Jesus said, everyone knows that John 15, verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. So he says that in chapter 13. He says it in chapter 15. But then he makes it, he, he qualifies it even more. And he says, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if, if, big if, you do what I command you to do. So discipleship is friendship, we read. To be a disciple of Christ means you're his friend. You're just his friend. And if I'm his friend and you're his friend, then why aren't we friends? And if we're not, then something's wrong in my friendship with Jesus. Because friends are all friends together. And he's talking to them collectively. You are my friends if you do what I tell you to do. How could a person like Peter and Paul ever become friends? Complete opposites. And on the opposite side of everything. You know, when Paul first got saved when he was first converted on the road to Damascus, people in Jerusalem were scared to death of him. They did not believe he was really a Christian. 
And how could they believe that? Because he was evil with a capital E-V-I-L. And here he comes into Jerusalem, and he's saved, supposedly. But you know what? James meets with him. Peter meets with him. They might have been a little scared of it at first, but they met with him because they listened to the Holy Spirit. And over time, the love that was in those disciples began to bring Paul in also, which brought in millions of people all over the world and us to this day. It's the power of God's love. True, disciples, true, true discipleship is true friendship with the Lord and with one another. Now go with me over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And this was a verse when I was praying that day that the Lord spoke to me. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. So I'm going to have to read it in the context so you can get this. Matthew seven fifteen. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. You know, you may not be able to tell what a tree is by looking at its leaves. Some trees you know, some you don't, unless you're really into trees. But you're definitely, definitely going to know by looking at its fruit, right? Sometimes you don't know until it bears fruit. And it doesn't always bear fruit every year. Almost none of these trees around here bore fruit this year. It may take several years. It may take some time. It may take tasting it and seeing. But over time, you're going to know, is that good fruit or is that bad fruit? Is that person really walking in the love of Christ? And when you know, then you know that that's a good tree. And you may, people may say it's a bad tree, but you know it's a good tree. Because there's good fruit. He says, you disciples, you should know better because you're following me. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. That, that's good news for disciples. Because sometimes, at least in my own personal life, I feel like, you know, I already said this, I feel like, you know, God, it's like, it's like nothing I'm doing makes any difference. I'm not bearing any fruit. But you know, if you're, if you're following Jesus, I promise you this, it may just take many years. Maybe you just need to be patient for it. Maybe you're just not seeing it, but it's there. Okay? I'm not sure a tree can see its own fruit any more than we can see our own faces except in a mirror, and so we only see our faces in 2D. Have you ever thought about that? And man, we think we look great, and then... Somebody else doesn't think we still look great, but the most common thing is we think we look terrible. And people looking from the outside in, they see the love of God in our hearts, and they actually think you're beautiful. It's a very hard thing for people to accept this truth that you are very beautiful. Because we're so used to not believing that about ourselves. So I'm not sure we really even see the fruit we're bearing. And maybe we shouldn't really worry about that so much. Maybe what we should be focused on is Jesus, because discipleship is following Jesus. And he tells us this one thing. If you're a good tree, and you are a good tree if you're following Jesus, you, absolutely, you actually cannot bear bad fruit. It's going to work out. You're bearing good fruit, because it's in your DNA, your spiritual DNA. It's what's on the inside of you, and you cannot bear bad, bad fruit. Uh, but if you're a bad tree, well, the fact is, you may do a whole lot of good things, but they're all going to come to naught. 
because you cannot bear good fruit. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Now listen to verse 21. Not everyone who, and I could end the message today with this. I'm not going to, sorry, but I could. Because this is what it's about. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. He who does the will of my Father. That's it. It's discipleship. Jesus tells lots of parables about this. There's one parable about a father that had uh, uh, two sons, and he says to them, you know, go do something like work out in the fields. It would be like we say, go, go mow the yard. And the one son says, yes, sir, and then does not do it. And the other son complains about it and says, there ain't no way I'm going to mow the yard. I'm busy today. But then he actually goes out and does it. And Jesus' parable asks the question, which son do you think the dad is pleased with? Of course, he's pleased with the one that actually did it. Now, he'd like for him to have a good attitude about it also, but bottom line is he wanted the yard mowed. And we don't see God like that because we're so touchy-feely about God. And we're so, oh, my feelings are hurt and blah, 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 blah. And that's not how God is. He just wants you to do his will. And that's a true disciple. So if you need a definition of a true disciple, a true disciple is a friend of Jesus. A true disciple is someone that gets spanked by Jesus quite a lot. A true disciple is someone that's pursuing holiness and pursuing peace and pursuing love with other people. Pursuit means that we haven't achieved it yet. Even Paul said, I've not attained my goal yet. I'm still in pursuit of it. If we had already attained our goal, we would probably be already dead because the purpose of our life is to run this race and to finish our work here. And when that work is done, then we can go home, but we can't go home yet because we haven't finished our work. So don't be disgruntled or upset about all the challenges that are in your life to walk in in love. Maybe God's allowing those things to be there and those conflicts with other people and the things that you've got to solve so that you can really learn to love one another the way that Jesus loves us. And it's not easy. It's, of course it's not easy. Right there in Hebrews 12, we just, we just read that no discipline for the moment is joyful. If you like getting spanked, you're weird. No, nobody likes to get in trouble. It's a, but, but that's not why you're getting in trouble. You're getting in trouble because God sees something in you that you don't see in yourself. And every parent in here understands this. You see some potential. You actually, as a parent, you see yourself in those children, don't you? You see yourself as a father in your sons or in your daughters. And you know that they, are, they, they have the potential to do way more than they're doing that they are greater than they believe about themselves, that they are more beautiful than they can see. And so you teach them with discipline. You say no to them. You stop them from doing certain things. And you explain to them why, and if they don't understand, then you just say, because I said so. Amen. And with God, that's where it ends. Bottom line, if you read the Bible, there's a lot of explanations there, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's just because he says so. 
And that's hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for all of us. I don't understand sometimes why God doesn't answer my prayers the way I want him to answer them, when I want him to answer them. But it never was about understanding. It was always about trusting. That's faith. And that's a disciple of Christ. So the simple definition of a disciple of Christ is the person who does what Jesus says to do. That's all there is to it. So look with me at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. Let's read this little story here. You could read on there in Matthew 7. He gets even more detail about people that are going to uh, say in that day when he comes, you know, we were charismatics. We cast out demons. We healed the sick. We were praying in tongues. We had the best worship band in town. We did this. We did that. And Jesus is going to say, I don't even know you guys. Get out of here. Depart from me. I never even knew you. Because it never was about that. It was always about doing his will, obeying his commandment, loving one another, pursuing his holiness in our lives. Luke chapter 5. And again, I want to emphasize the word pursuit. It's not, nobody should feel condemned. Nobody should sense condemnation in anything that the Word of God is saying to us today. What you should sense is conviction, and they're completely different things, because condemnation makes you want to give up. Conviction is a challenge. I can do this. I can make this. I can go on in my pursuit of holiness. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. says a great story. Now, it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, around Jesus, and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. That's Lake Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that. I have, uh, when you're fishing with nets. And that's a real pain. That is not fun. That's a lot of work. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. Because if you don't put your nets away properly, you don't have them next time you go fishing. That's, that's it. And uh, so they got all their work done. They put away all their tools already. They cleaned up the whole entire mess, right? They're done for the day. They're ready to go home. Uh, and he, he, the, and he got, Jesus gets into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. Okay? So let me stop right there for a minute. Uh, just that in itself is a, is, is a lot. Because, like I said, Peter's already put away everything for the day. He's ready to go home. Jesus doesn't say to Peter, Hey, Simon, could I please get in your boat for a little bit? He just gets in his boat, it says. Think about that. I mean, if after church you see me sitting in your car with your keys and I'm driving off, what are you going to think? Because I'm not Jesus. But Jesus can do this. Why? Because he's Jesus. He has the authority. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. That car doesn't even belong to you. That boat doesn't even belong to you. This is my father's. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And if he wants me in your boat, I'm getting in your boat. So get this lesson about discipleship. Jesus picks the boat he wants. And so quit worrying about, well, I'm not good enough. I can't do that. 
You know on the inside that's just a lame excuse for not wanting to obey Jesus. And I don't want to step on your toes, or maybe I do. But I know in my own life, I don't preach stuff that God's not speaking to me. In my own life, when I'm given to that little whiny thing of, I just can't do it, Jesus, I'm not good enough, I know somewhere down on the inside what I'm really saying is, no way am I going to do what you want me to do, Jesus. And I'm looking for an excuse. If he's asking me to do it, then that means he knows I'm ready to do it. If he's asking me to go through it, then he knows I'm ready to go through it. Because he already promised me. There's not going to be any temptation in your life. Mark this down. You'll never have a temptation in your life that is too much for you. And there are temptations that are too much for you. There are temptations that are too much for me at this point of growth in my life. At least I think there are. But if I'm faced with a temptation, that means, or a test, that's just another word for test, that means it's not too much for me. What parent, out of love for their children, would ever ask them to do something that you know they cannot do? They're not physically strong enough. They're not mentally ready for that. You would not do that. But you would challenge them with things they think they cannot do. Right? And so God does with us. And so here, he comes to Peter, and he picks the boat that he wants. That's an important part of discipleship. Going back to John, John 15, 16. That same passage where he's talking about no greater love. He says, you, just listen, you did not choose me. Yeah, I know you're talking about, you know, the day you accepted Jesus as your Savior and how I just choose to love Jesus. No, you didn't choose him. And you didn't accept him as your Savior. I mean, in a sense, you did. But you never would have accepted him, him as your Savior if he didn't pick you out first. You never would have even known anything about him if he didn't pick you out. To be a Christian means to be elected. Do you know the word for church in the Greek, ecclesia? It means the chosen out ones, the elected ones. When you go to a church, and the word church is a great word if you understand what it means, but it's a bad word because nobody knows what it, what it means. And, and, and so you, you don't think of yourselves that way. But I get up on Sunday morning and come to church not because of who the preacher is and not because uh, I have to go to church because it's my job. I go to church because I've been chosen to go there. Where else would I be? That's, why I, that's, that's right. It's a, it's a congregation of people that are elected out by Jesus. They're disciples of Christ. That's what his vision for the church is. That's what he means when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I can tell you about thousands of local churches. Maybe I don't know about thousands. There are them out there. But I know many local churches that the gates of hell actually prevailed against them. Or at least it looks that way. And they're gone. I know plenty of Christians that it's gone. They're just gone. Well, what happened? Well, maybe they were just saying, Lord, Lord, but they weren't doing the will of the Father because the church is a congregation of disciples of Christ. So Jesus picks the boat that he wants. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain, that you would have good fruit that would remain. Okay? So he picks the boat. Look at verse uh, 4. When he had finished speaking, so he finishes sermon. Peter's okay with the sermon part of it. Because he didn't have to do any work with that. You know, I mean, the tools, the nets, everything's folded up, everything's ready, we're going home. 
But then it gets hard. He says to Simon, now you put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Sometimes we don't read these things right. (laughs) But think of any job you've ever done, and when it's all put away, it's all finished, you know, and then I'm going to show up at midnight and say, you know, get your tools out and do this over again. It's just not going to happen. And Simon answered and said, especially when you've had this kind of, of day or night, this actually in the morning, they worked at night. Master, we worked hard all night, and we caught nothing. It's discouragement. When you've worked hard all night and you don't catch anything, you're just grasping at reasons to be happy you went out there to go fishing or hunting or whatever it was you're doing. You know what I'm Anybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You're trying to make, make something happy out of this. But the fact is, we spent all night long and we didn't catch one single fish. And now you are telling me to go out in the heat of the day and put down nets? Because that's not how it works, Jesus. But then listen to what he says. And this is where we see that Simon is a true disciple of Jesus. He says, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but... I will do as you say and let down the nets. If you want to know what a disciple says to Jesus, what his daily confession is, even when he's discouraged, even when he doesn't feel like he can go on anymore, he gets up, he dusts himself off, he says, fine. And maybe his attitude isn't always that happy about it. It doesn't sound like Peter's real happy about this. But attitude will come later. Attitude always follows action. He says, I will do what you say to do. Because you said to do it, I will do it. And you are my master, and I am your disciple. And you you know how the story goes. turns out good. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Don't think the blessings of Jesus make things easier, because they don't always. (laughs) But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So it turns out that it never was about the fish. It was always about men. It was always about people. And the whole fish thing was to teach them that in your lives as my disciples, and the whole book of Acts shows that they lived it out this way, that when I say go cast your net to catch men, you go cast your net to catch men. But master, we've tried all night long. I've been talking to that guy for years, and he never listens to anything. But if you say go share, if you say go love, if you say forgive, If you say, continue on with that relationship, if you say, go out into the deep, because it's always out into the deep, then I will go out into the deep. Not because I know I'm going to catch something, but because that's what you say to do. 
When Jesus does this miraculous work, it changes the heart of Peter. He goes from a position, not necessarily of pride, but just of normal human pride. And he comes to a place of complete humility, brokenness, and most importantly, a fear of God. Before, the first step is this, I'm going to do what you tell me to do, Jesus. But it ends with him saying, get away from me, Jesus. A realization, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying here, by the way. It's a realization that you are holy and I am not. That you are God and I am not. And it's the right thing because wisdom and knowledge begin with a fear of God. A disciple of Christ has a fear of God that he's learned in his life. And he knows, I cannot cross that line because at the end of the day, he is God and I am not. And I will do what he says to do. And I am not worthy of this. But he has made me worthy by his love for me. Because Jesus doesn't uh, uh, reprimand him for saying this at all. He just says, get up and go, Peter. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And there's another story about Elijah in the Bible. I shared it, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but bear sharing again from 1 Kings, when, you know, Elijah, this great prophet of God, and God's working through him in such a powerful way, and he's just dealt with all these prophets of Baal, and, and he's been allowed by God <laughs> to get to take, to do this medieval warfare thing that John was taking, talking about, and take a sword out and lop off their heads, you know, and all this stuff, and he's just all, he looks like all-powerful Elijah, and then here comes all-powerful Jezebel, and he runs for his life like a scared little kid, and he's hiding, and he finds this cave to go into where God directs him to, and he goes up into that cave, and he starts complaining to God and saying, I've been serving you all my life, and nobody's listening to me, nobody's helping me, nobody's with me, and God's going to explain to him later that I've got 7,000 others. You just think you're alone, but you're not alone. But before he ever explains that to him, I love what happens in that story. It's just like what happens here with Peter. In that story, it says that there's this, this great and powerful wind that comes, right? And it shakes everything. And it says, but God's not in the wind. And then there's this earthquake that comes. And then it says, but God's not in the earthquake. So Elijah's shaking. And then he, but God's not in the earthquake. And then a fire comes. I guess the whole forest caught on fire around there or something. But God's not in the fire. And then it says, but this gentle blowing wind what the King James calls is a still, small voice. The, the voice you hear in your heart. And it says, and God was in this, in this voice. When the Holy Spirit comes, if you want to know how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, then I would recommend the first thing you do is get real quiet. Because all the shouting, all the fire, all the earthquake, that's not God. It's not God. And if they're shouting an earthquake and fire, that might be the beginning of what God's doing, but it's going to end with a lesson he wants to put into your heart by his Holy Spirit. He's not disciplining us, spanking us, yelling at us, whatever you want to call it, so that because he's mad at us, but because he loves us. And so here comes the still small voice, 
And here's what it says. It does not say, I'm sorry, Elijah. I just really scared you. I should have took care of that Jezebel for you. Because, and this is hard for me to learn as a parent. I don't know if it is for you or not, but I want to make things easier for my kids. I want to do things for them. (laughs) And usually it's just because I want it done and I don't want to waste time teaching them. Anybody familiar with that feeling? But God doesn't treat us like that. He doesn't make things easy for us. He'll let us fall on our face. And he's okay with it. Because he really believes in us. Do you know what I'm saying? And if you're ready to go through something, he'll let you go through it. But that voice comes and says to Elijah, I love it. What are you doing here? Get up and go and do what I told you to do. Because again, at the end of the day, discipleship's not about your feelings. I'd say God doesn't care about your feelings, but that's a little too harsh. He does care about our feelings, but it's not about your feelings. It's about doing what he told you to do. And all he says to Elijah at the end of that is, what are you doing here? Get up and go. And all he says to Peter when Peter falls down and that fear comes on him, and he says, get away from me, Jesus. He doesn't say to Peter, oh, everything's going to be okay. Don't get your feelings hurt. That's not what I meant. He just says to him, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And I'll bet Peter went home that day, scratched and said, what in the world does that mean? Well, he's going to find out. But it's going to take a whole process of discipleship with its ups and downs. But one thing Peter never does, and you know this, he never gives up. He never quits. Can you imagine getting just knocked out by Jesus with those words? Get behind me, Satan. For you don't even care about the things of God. All you care about are the things of people. And Jesus says that to Peter. And he says it to him right after they come out of the Mount of Transfiguration. And these things always come to us right after the great spiritual moment in our lives when we think, finally think we've made it. And then we say to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, don't go to that cross. We, can, we don't need to do that. We can take care of everything here. We're going to start a new religious uh, outreach. We're going to do something. We'll take over Rome. We'll run everything in the whole world, and everything's going to be great. And then Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. But Peter gets up, and he keeps going. And then Jesus says to him, before the rooster even crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. What kind of answer is that? Peter said to Jesus, I will follow you even unto death. Well, the answer was supposed to be, oh, good, I'm so glad that you're dedicated to me and everything. This is all going to work out. But it's not. The answer is, no, you will not, Peter. You're going to fail, and you're going to fail so bad that nobody's ever failed that bad. And it's going to be embarrassing, and they're going to be preaching about it 2,000 years from now. And everybody's going to hear about it, because you're going to deny me three times. And when you read about his denial of Jesus, he's cussing. Read it carefully. I mean, he's using really foul language. He's saying, blankety, blankety, blank, I don't even know Jesus. And then he hears the rooster. But Judas betrayed him. What did Judas do? Gave up. Hanged himself. Peter didn't. 
He came back for more. <laughs> he said, well, you were right. I really blew that. Give me another one of those whammies. Okay, here's one for you. Do you love me? Oh, I love you. Then why aren't you out feeding my sheep? Why, you know, Jesus does, does not give up on Peter. Why? Because he loves Peter. And because he sees greatness in Peter that Peter doesn't see in himself. And that's what it means to be a disciple of Christ. I'm going to end with just one last, I don't even open up, but just the story of, of the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And there's, you know, they ran out of wine. And Mary comes to her son Jesus and says they're out of wine. And Jesus says to her, really rude, he says, woman, what does that have to do with us? And the us means me and my disciples, because his disciples are there with him. What does that have to do with us? So they ran out of wine. It's not my wedding. And then Mary goes away. So what's Mary doing at first? At first, she's trying to manipulate Jesus, okay? Try to just think about this. How much of our prayers are just trying to manipulate Jesus? How much of what we do is just trying to manipulate Jesus? How often are we, just really think about this, how often are we pushing Jesus into a corner and saying, now you're going to do what I want? Because if you don't, it's going to be real embarrassing for you, isn't it? And we don't say those words to him, but we act like that. And we organize things in our lives in such a way that we think Jesus is going to have to do our will. And that has nothing to do with discipleship. Because true discipleship is going to be a peeling away of layer after layer of manipulation. Because we're geared like that. You know, when you've got a little baby, we've got some sweet little kids in here, don't we? They're so sweet and they're so cute, but their whole life is about manipulating you. They're like little terrorists in the home. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, they're screaming, they're crying, feed me now, change my diaper, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And so the, growing up means going from that to becoming a parent or grandparent and learning to lay down your life for others, right? Well, how would it be any different with discipleship with Christ? We come to Jesus in the beginning. We're just these little manipulators. I mean, Mary does not, she's his mom. And she's been keeping all this stuff in her heart for years, but she still doesn't really get it yet. She's trying to get him to do some magic trick or to do something. I don't know what she wanted. Maybe she thought he had a bunch of money. He was going to go out and buy some wine or he had the connections with the wine store or something. But they don't have wine and she's telling Jesus and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. It has nothing to do with me or my discipleship, my disciples. And then something changes in the story. And it doesn't really tell us what changes. But what changes is, you can see it, is Mary's heart. And she turns to the servants. She walks away. And all of a sudden, something, all of a sudden something changes with her. And she's a different Mary. And she says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. That's faith. That's not manipulation. Faith says... Whatever Jesus says, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do what Jesus says to do. And then the miracle happens. Then everything changes because her heart changes. She becomes a disciple of Christ. Let's stand together. Do we have a song? Okay, great. Because I missed half of worship today. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, I could hear it, but I was sorry. Then I forgot my glasses, then this, then that. Let's pray. Father, I just pray this morning that there would be true, I, I really do, Lord, just that you would convict our hearts.
God, I know, I see in our lives that we're, we're not there yet, Lord. And Actually, I think I should say we're not where we should be. We're just not where we should be. We're like in eighth grade, but we don't know how to read and write yet or something. Yeah. Sometimes, Lord. said there in that same book of Hebrews that you should all be teachers by this time and yet you still need someone to teach you. Lord, we should already be making disciples. Disciples make disciples. We should already be mentoring, teaching others to obey everything that you've commanded us, Lord. And yet here we are, still drinking the formula out of the baby bottles. Lord, I just pray that you would stir up our hearts to grow up in our discipleship of you. Because there's nothing difficult about it. I believe that right now, every person in here who really knows you, they hear your voice. Because it's, there's no excuse for this. It's so simple. You said, my sheep hear my voice. And they're going to follow me. We know your voice, Lord. We have a Bible. We can open it. We can read it. There's not one single verse we read today that we haven't heard a million times. But Lord, I just pray that we would listen to your voice and just simply obey what you're saying to do. Someone you're telling to go, and they're not going. They're not meeting you at the place that you designated. And I know that you will not be ignored forever. That we can't just pick the time and place when we want it and expect you to show up there. That's that manipulation. It worked great when we were little kids, but time is too short. We need to be where you're asking us or telling us, commanding us to be when you tell us to be there. And if you don't show up, we need to stay and wait. Whether we like that or not. Father, this morning, we just, I just want to just privately in our own hearts right now before you, each one of us just lift up a sacrifice of praise to you. The fruit of our lips giving thanks to your name. And not thank you for our food, not thank you for the sunshine, not thank you for prosperity, health, but the most difficult sacrifice I think right now, Lord, is we want to thank you for each other. And especially, just right now in our own mind's eye, in our own heart, especially those who have offended us. And they've never even said they're sorry. But just offer that up as a sacrifice of praise to you, Lord.
And we say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've allowed me to go through this. Because you obviously see something greater in me than I see in myself. Because somehow you see yourself in me. Because I'm your child. And you're my father and you see yourself in me. And you expect more out of me. Lord, thank you that you've put me in this church. Thank you that you've put me in this family. Thank you for my brothers, my sisters, for this household of faith, Lord. And I've not been pursuing peace. Lord, I want to pursue peace today with all men. We may have to go through a lot to get to that peace, but I want to be in pursuit of peace and sanctification without which I will never see you, Lord. I just want to be your disciple. I just want to be where you are, Jesus. So I ask you, Lord, this morning to forgive me as you taught us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's so much we owe to you, God. So much we owe you. We owe you everything. Because you've forgiven this. Lord, let that work of discipleship be in us. And we stop worrying about what we feel so much. And start by faith doing what you command us to do. And loving one another, Lord in action, and in deeds. Just obeying what you tell us to do, Lord. Just pray this this morning. Lord, I pray that this won't be the kind of word this morning where everybody goes home and just forgets about it. I pray that this won't be the kind of word this morning where everybody goes home and says, yeah, boy, pastor was right today because so-and-so sure isn't obeying him. Sure isn't listening to God. I'm glad I am listening to God. Lord, they would just keep this in the privacy of our own heart. I really feel like this is what you're saying to us privately. Maybe it needs to be said publicly here so everyone can hear it, but it's a private message to each one of us. Lord, I just want to do what you're saying to do. If you want me to go out into the deep, put down my nets even though it seems like a complete waste of time I'm going to do that because you said to do it I thank you for that this morning Lord I just leave this with you Holy Spirit just pray that this would just sit in our hearts Lord and like a good seed it would develop in our lives and call us to a place of discipleship where we've never been Thank you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, let's sing together. We hope you enjoyed the message. Before you leave, we want to remind you that if you want to continue receiving updates on new sermons, that you subscribe to our podcast. If you want more information on how to contact us, make sure to check out our website at urintonvillianfellowship.com. And we'll see you next time on the YBF Podcast.